Good morning, Cornerstone, and uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Aaron, happy Father's Day. Brian, happy Father's Day to you four times over. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, what a gift to be a dad. Um, so to all the dads, we appreciate you, and uh, we just want to encourage your continued love and leadership of your family. So uh, you're appreciated today. Hey, I'm here before Aaron's message to just ask you for something really simple for the next couple of weeks, but we think it will ha- have some profound effects. Uh, reopening our church and gathering us back together in person, which is something we certainly want to do during this time, is proving to be much harder, much more difficult than we expected. That's a very nice way of putting it. Yeah. It has felt a little like Sisyphus rolling a boulder up the hill, only to roll back down with a new plan. So Yes, with lots of meetings where we get nowhere. Well, lots of meetings that will frustrate half the people. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so uh, we are trying to make our decisions based in values, and one of those values is we want to respect our authorities right now and contribute to the public health. And so those restrictions are making it really difficult. And so we want to ask you to pray with us and for us during this time. We need need wisdom. Um, We need to hear from the Lord. And one of the things that Aaron and I have been talking about a lot lately is when there's stress, it makes it harder to hear from God. And so we just want you to pray with us for God's wisdom, but also that we would have some peace Mm -hmm. and unity around making those decisions. Yeah, I think there's been a shift in this last week as we have come up with so many plans and realizing we've kind of come to a spot where, Lord, what do we do? And instead of being frustrated, let's shift this into an opportunity to say, Lord, You've got our attention. We're not sure what to do. Will you show us? Will you speak to us? Will you speak to us? Will you speak to your people? And just on the heels, you know, as we had the Catch the Wind series of saying, Lord, once again, in this time, we're going to spend a few weeks and we're just going to set our sails because this is a really important decision because we don't want to give up gathering together, but we also don't want to frustrate our relationship with our city and our neighbors and also the people that are part of our congregation and keep them safe. And so there's a lot of factors. And so we're asking you to really listen to the Lord and help us to set our sails and how we reopen Cornerstone and gather together. And so uh, please take that serious. Every time we've asked you to pray with us about something big, the Lord has used your prayers. And so we're doing that again. And uh, we're confident he'll give us what we need. And so, all right, enough of that, because I'm excited to hear Aaron's message today and let you get to hear it. So let's, let's pray mm-hmm. for him. So, Father, today we bless Aaron with your words and your wisdom. Thank you for the hard work and the preparation that's already um, been put, put forth. Uh, we pray that, Lord, you would use that. And I also pray for all of us as we listen at home or wherever we're at. I pray that our hearts would be open to hear from your word. I pray that we would be people who don't just listen to the word but obey it. And, Father, most of all today, I pray that we'd be people who step into this incredible invitation to partner more with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, champ. (laughs) All right. It is my privilege to be able to jump in in this series as we are talking about beginnings, the words and wisdom from the book of Genesis. And what I want us to do as we drop in after the great weeks of messages from Brian and Gene, I want us to drop in and we get to eavesdrop on a conversation that God has with himself. That the Father, the the Word that becomes the Son and the Spirit, they have this conversation with themselves as they have just finished five days of creation and they come to the sixth day and then they say to this to one another, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And I love this because there is this energy and interaction between God himself. 
It's almost as if they are so excited in this creative process, in this endeavor, in this adventure, that they're interrupting themselves. That one member of the, of the Godhead says, let us create man in our image and our likeness. And another one interrupts and says, let's have, that. let's have them have dominion over all the earth. And so there is this energy and this excitement and this resounding, yes, let's do this. And I have to imagine that God in his sovereignty understood the ramifications and the risks of that. But the reward would be too beautiful and too incredible. That God wanted to extend the relationship that he had with himself beyond just creation, but to something special to humanity, to embed his likeness and his image and that he would give them dominion. I love this image. And then the discussion becomes less of a discussion and God in his true nature moves to action. In Genesis 1:27 it says God created man and so God created man in his image in his image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed, its fruit. You shall have them for fruit, for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And so, it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. The conversation moves to creativity, and God gets to work. And he creates man. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that he formed man. That God actually gets down into creation in the dirt. And he takes the dirt. And it says that he takes it. And the word form isn't just kind of like very gentle. But with force, he begins to fashion it together to form man. And then he blows into his mouth, into his lungs, his own breath. And his lungs are filled with life. And then after that, he plants a garden. He places him in a garden. And we see that from that place that God begins to speak. After he has got his hands dirty in creating man, he blesses them, man and woman. And this blessing, barak is the word in Hebrew. This blessing is the favor of God. That He bestows the favor of God upon humanity. That he touches them. You know, I can only imagine, and this is speculation, but just listen for a moment. When my children were born, Grace and Addie, there was a moment right after they were born of blessing where I was down and I was in their space looking at them filled with joy and speaking to them. I wonder if this is what it was like when God fashions humanity together and then picks them up and places them in the garden. That as he speaks the blessing, it is like the father creator is speaking to his child, his favor upon them. And then he begins to, he continues to speak. And he says to them, these first words to humanity, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. This is an incredible scene. 
This is an amazing scene for us of God's interaction with himself and then his interaction with humanity and his interaction with creation. And one of the things as I read this is I often jump to the section of responsibility, of what it looks like for us, that we need to be fruitful, we need to multiply, we need to fill the earth and, and subdue it and, and, and have dominion. And I jump to that. But in this, as I've been studying it this week, there's been something different that has flown to the top. Something that is so powerful. And it's these two things that as God is speaking to humanity, as he puts his image in them, as he fashions them in his likeness, as he blesses them, the first thing that he do, does is that he actually embeds purpose into humanity. Humanity isn't aimless. He embeds purpose. He says, this is what you are to do. But as he embeds purpose, he does something so profound, and it's what I want to focus on most today. And this is the thing that is really just has me caught up in the benevolence and the brilliance and the adventure and the risk-taking and the goodness of God. Not only does he embed purpose into humanity, but he extends partnership. He extends partnership. When God says, let us create man our image, and he says, let them do this, he is creating a partnership that the perfect union of God is now being extended out and inviting humanity into that union to care for creation, to create in creation. It's as if God, the master, is, is like a master painter and that he has created in this huge canvas like we have here, that he has this huge canvas and that he has painted all around and then he gets it to a certain place and he stops. And he brings another around and he says, come here, come here. Now I want you to create. Now I want you to paint. I want you to fill in the empty space. I want you to finish this with me. And all the elements are here. It's like a songwriter. You know, as someone who likes to write songs, uh, a process of partnership is so interesting because I get a song to a certain point and I've written a melody and music and maybe some words. And as I invite another person into this, I am saying, will you partner with me to make this something? Will you work on this with me? Will you take a verse? And that verse is going to take shape the way they want. And that verse is going to the melody may move in a way that they want. But God is not that he couldn't do it himself because he absolutely could. He is sovereign, almighty, perfect, all creative. He could have done it himself. But one of the joys of God is to say, you know what? I'm going to create humanity. And then I'm going to invite and extend partnership to humanity to write this story with me to walk with me on this adventure, to create this masterpiece with me. Isn't that amazing? I love that. That in the very beginning, when humanity is first created, that God creates them in their image, places them in paradise, then he embeds them with a purpose, and that purpose he extends a partnership. He says, let's do this together. Let's do this together. As we look through scripture, we see that this is not the last time God's going to do this. This is kind of God's style. This is the way he loves to do things. 
He partners with humanity. We see with Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill, to subdue, to have dominion. Adam and Eve, he's saying, this is how we're going to finish and fill this creation. Then he moves to Noah. He says, Noah, you know what? We're going to start over, buddy. I'm going to partner with you and we're going to have a reset. Then he moves on later and he says to Abraham, Abraham, how's this? I want to partner with you and I want to bring a my will and my ways to, hum to humanity and through humanity. And the way that I'm going to do it is by making you a great name and a great nation. And you're going to have this land. And God partners with Abraham. And then he moves to Moses. He says, Moses, I want to partner with you to free my people from Egypt. And I want to have you enter into this promised land to fulfill my promises. I want to partner with you, Moses. And then we move to David. The covenant with David, and he says, David, I'm going to usher in that there'll be a kingdom that will never end. And then through Jesus, oh, what an amazing partnership we see here. God goes all out in the partnership of humanity that his word, that his son would become, the word would become flesh, and that there would be this partnership with the son of God, son of man, that would come to earth to partner with God and humanity to bring redemption. And that as Jesus is born, lives a perfect life, as he dies a sacrificial death on the cross that conquers sin and death, and that he raises from the dead, he is making a way for bringing the redemption of humanity to God, a redemption of humanity to be in relationship with one another, and a relationship with humanity to be in creation once again in a perfect way. That as Jesus comes and he takes the keys back and as he stands on the throne and everything in heaven and earth are under him, he invites us to sit with him on that. And again, there is this partnership that started in the very beginning of the beauty and the brilliance of God to say, I want to extend myself. I want to invite you in to be a part of this, to fill and to finish we see that the way God works throughout Scripture from beginning to end is partnership. Throughout history, we could go into many different places where God has done amazing things with His partnership with humanity. I want to share just a little thing from my life. And there have been seasons in my life where I've really just felt the Lord very, very close. And there's times where He's just given me visions. And there was a time, and it was probably about 12 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit less, and I was agonizing over a decision on what to do, whether to stay someplace, whether to leave someplace. And I was in prayer, and I, I have this image that's a sacred space for me, and it's, it's just this simple little rowboat. It might sound silly to you, but it's profound to me. And as I was praying, I just had this image of Jesus, and he was in the rowboat, and it was one of those that, that he had both of the oars. And he was rowing, and I was sitting, and I was just following and as the scene unfolded, I saw this in my spirit that, that Jesus took one of the oars and he handed it to me. And he says, it's time for you to co-create. And I remember being amazed at this scene that I would have the ability to row with the Lord in the direction of my life. And there was this sense of 
humility and a sense of excitement, but also a sense of responsibility to saying, oh my word, the Lord is saying that I can partner with him in the direction of my life and how I am to make an impact. And that was profound. It was an incredible experience for me to see this extension of partnership that the Lord gives. You know, partnerships are an incredible thing, but one of the things that is really critical in a partnership is expectation. When my wife, Destry, and I were doing uh, counseling, uh, Reverend David Hall, who is a lifelong mentor of mine, he said, you know what, one of the things is the key to relationship is expectations, 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 and making those clear. And so making clear expectations in a partnership is really important. And as we look in Genesis, we see that God is the one, he is the original creator. He is the one that is all-knowing and almighty, and he is the one that is extending an invitation of partnership. And so with that, he also extends his expectations. And these expectations are not just suggestions. Like, hey, Adam and Eve, if you guys get around to it, you're not busy, what I'd love you to do is, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, if you can. Uh, I want you to fill the earth. I want you to subdue it. I want you to have dominion. Oh, by the way, you know what? I, you know, if you don't mind, please don't, you know what? You can have anything you want, but please don't eat of these two trees. These are things that when God speaks, he's not speaking suggestions. He's speaking mandated instructions. These first words that God speaks to Adam and Eve are actually commandments. And I believe that, and I could argue and look at other uh, rabbis and scholars, they talk about the same thing, that these are the original, this is the beginning of a commandment to humanity. And a commandment in Hebrew, in Jewish, is a mitzvah, or a mitzvot, if it is to be plural. And a mitzvah is a command from God to humanity. But that commandment in a mitzvah isn't just to hear it, it is to be acted out. And as the rabbis and the Hebrew scholars write about this, you know, oftentimes we in Western culture, we don't like the word command. When someone commands us to do something, we feel like that's infringing on our freedom. But not for the Hebrews, not for the listeners, and not for the Jews. They believed that commandment was a blessing. That commandment was a call to action to partner with God. That it was a bond that when humanity, when a man or woman fulfills a commandment of God, they are actually bonding with God and becoming closer to him. Doesn't that change things? You know, when we look at the book of Leviticus and we see Levitical law with over 600 of these uh, mitzvot, the mitzvahs, we see that there's a lot of rules. And sometimes it just feels like, oh, this is obligation. But not for those who study the Torah. They realize these are blessings. For every one of these places is an interaction with God. The opportunity to partner with God. I love the writing of Abraham Joshua Heschel. And you've heard Brian and Gene and I quote him. And this is a phenomenal book if you have a, a long time to read it. I'm just slowly getting through it. God in Search of Man. But this is what he says about mitzvah. In a section called The Partnership of God and Man, 
He says, a mitzvah is an act which God and man have in common. We say, blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his mitzvot. They oblige him as well as us. They oblige him as well as us. Therefore, fulfillment is not valued as an act performed in spite of the evil drive, but as an act of communion with him. Fulfilling the commandments of God is an act of communion with God. The spirit of mitzvah is togetherness. We know he is our partner to our act. The oldest form of piety is expressed in the Bible as walking with God. Enoch, Noah, walked with God. It has been told thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, only to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. In carrying out a good deed, it is impossible to be or to feel alone. To fulfill a mitzvah is to be a partisan, to enter into the fellowship of his will. Now we could stop there. And you could just read that for days because it is so profound. But what the Lord God is saying in the midst of this is he's commanding these specific actions of Adam and Eve. He's saying, partner with me. And in everything I say for you to do and not do, that is a partnership with the divine, with God. I think that's amazing. Now, as we continue... What I'd like to do is through the light of that, that God, in the very beginning, after he breathes and blesses, he speaks, he is speaking this this mitzvah, this command. And I want us to look at that, that that command is a partnership. That when God speaks and says to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill, subdue, and to rule over the earth and over every living thing, he's saying, partner with me. Fill, finish, create, care for. In my image, in my likeness, do it the way that I would in my nature and character. And so as we go back to these, I just want to walk through these quickly for us to to look. Because in Genesis 1.28, he says, be fruitful, and it's the word para. And he's saying to them, I want you to be fruitful like a plant that yields fruit that is to grow, that'll be for sustenance and also for seeds for future plants. I want you to do that. And so he is telling humanity to be fruitful and to multiply. Now, literally what he is saying is, I want you to have children. I want you to populate the earth. And that is a mandate of God. Isn't it amazing that as we have kids, we are actually partnering with God in the conception that he allows us to have those children and in the care and raising that we are partnering with God to fulfill that mandate. But one of the things I want to look at is in there, that para, para is that there is an echo in the New Testament that isn't just about children. Please hear me say that that is the mandate, that we are to be fruitful and to multiply, but for some people, they can't have children. 
Others, uh, you, they are not able to do that. And so one of the things I want to do is I want to stretch that meeting so that we see, yes, this is a mandate to be fruitful and to multiply through having kids, through creating a family that is able to adhere to the principles and the will and the ways of God. But also, not only that, be fruitful is the way you live your life. Paul talks about in, in Galatians that the fruits of the Spirit that that is also a way that we could stretch that meaning that is saying be fruitful, that we are to walk and to be fruitful in the way we live our lives. We partner with God and be fruitful in rearing children, but also in creating culture that adheres to the fruits of the Spirit. That that is an invitation for us, that we partner to God by embedding the inheritance of God into our culture, our homes, our schools, our workplace, our cities, our nation, our world, we are fruitful. And the fruit that we bring is the sustenance of the fruit of the Spirit and the seeds that it may multiply. With this word, with this word multiply, rava, it means just that, to increase or to accomplish, to fill, mela. And that word to fill also can mean to replenish. It has this idea not just to, it is an abundance, but not only abundance in the fact of there's more than enough, but that it will be replaced. And it's almost is to fill and keep filling. And then we come to this word, subdue. And as we look at it, it's one of those that are more challenging because it's aggressive. And it means to actually to, to press down. It means to bring under. It means to bring into bondage or to tame. And which is a really aggressive that if we're looking at this, that wow, God is telling us to bring creation into bondage and using force. But one of the things is if we look through the light of two things. One, when God formed Adam, he used force to compact that dirt. And then he breathed his life into it. And then we also look that when we understand this word for subdue, we understand that it is one that will be for harnessing. That we're able to bring it in alignment for what it could be. And that not only harnessing, but unleashing. You know, one of the things that I think about with subdue is so many times humanity has used this for an excuse to conquer creation to conquer things, to subdue it, to bring it under. But we have to look in light of it in Genesis chapter 2 where it says to cultivate and to keep. And so the way we subdue things is to harness for good and unleash potential. I had a situation, <laughs> uh, I think it was about a year ago, where I ran into a subduing situation with creation. Uh, I was at my friend Chris Schutze's farm before they moved and they were gone and I was feeding their chickens and for those of you that don't know I am not much of a farmer and so I got in there and opened up the pen and the chickens were gone and one of their very large goats got into the chicken pen and was beginning to eat the food and it was going to be a dangerous place for the for them because the 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 goat was moving around and thrashing and it was dangerous for them and it was they had to be taken out and the goat had to be removed from this small chicken pen. 
And this was one where I had to muster all of the authority of humanity to subdue creation as I tried to bring this very large goat out of a harmful situation and to bring it into a place where it wouldn't harm the chickens itself or me. So that's a little bit of a humorous of my run-in with subduing creation. But one of the things, and I love the way that, that uh, John Mark Comer talks about subduing, because it can be aggressive, and people have used this for negative things, but he says uh, this. He says, he says, subdue is meaning to harness the raw, uncut potential of the earth itself. Make something of the world you've been dropped into. The word subdue seems to indicate that there is an inherent wildness to the world. It is untamed. Talks about that in scripture. But there is a wildness and a wonder to creation that is untamed. And when God is saying to humanity to subdue it, he is saying from the place of cultivate and care, be able to take and to harness and unlock the potential of creation. And as we come to the final place, and we're talking about, uh, as we are talking about the word for rule, rada. Subdue, the word is kavash. And the word for rule is rada. And it is this rule to have dominion over. But one of the things that as we are mandated, as we are called and given the mitzvah to rule over, that we are to do it in the image and the likeness, the character and the nature of God. And we look at the way that God ruled over humanity. How did he do that? He was generous. And also there is this place where he would meet them daily in the cool of the day. And he would walk with them in the garden. And there was a relationship. And the rule was not dominance, but it was care. And it was among. And so as God is speaking to say to humanity, I want you to rule over every living thing. I want you to do it the way that I do it. Cultivate and care. Walk among. Be present to Not for dominion, but for benevolence. God is amazing. And I love the way that he begins this relationship with humanity. And he speaks, he blesses, he gives this mitzvah. And then he calls us and he embeds a partnership in us. And he gives us a purpose. Now, I have to be honest that as this week, reading these authors and a host of others of, um, that I just didn't even bring in, there's such a high level of conviction right now that as I read this, and I feel as almost that I've been stopped in my tracks in some ways and awoken to say, oh my word, my first purpose as I have had God breathe life into my lungs, into my spirit, that as he blesses me with his favor, that my first purpose is to partner with him in absolutely every aspect of life. It isn't just spiritual things. It isn't just church matters and when to reopen and those type of things, but it is in every moment of life is to be a partnership with God. That when I wake up, it is an invitation to partner with him. 
And just even as I say that, it's almost as if I just hear the echoes of him speaking to himself, let us create man in our image, let's give them dominion over. And feeling that invitation of God to say, Aaron, today in every single thing you do, partner with me. As you work, as you're in relationship, as you're walking through the city, as you're going hiking with family, as you're going in any places, the things that you eat, the way that you spend, the every single aspect of your life is to be in partnership with God. And if we would spend the time to look through the book of Leviticus, God is involved in everything from Israel's diet to their fashion to the rhythm of their life. He's saying, I want to partner with you in everything. And there's a great conviction that's coming to me in that, to say that every aspect of my life is not to be compartmentalized into, well, these are spiritual and this is just normal things. This is the sacred. This is just the the mundane. But to say, Lord, you're in all of it, inviting us to partner. And it's bringing about a great conviction to say, I've got to decompartmentalize my life to listen to the first mitzvah of the Lord, to partner with him. And then it's bringing a conviction of how I interact with creation. To be fruitful and multiply. I have two children and the mandate of God is that I would raise them in His ways. And to care for them as He cares for me. But also with that, that I be fruitful in that the way I interact with everything and everyone is to bear fruit in line with the fruits of the Spirit. And to multiply that in everywhere I go. And to fill every space that I enter in, not just with children, but to fill every space that I enter in with the presence of God. Because I and you, excuse me, are image bearers. That the way that I go into situations that is bringing this conviction to subdue culture and creation in such a way is that I bring it under the reign and rule of Jesus and bring it under the reign and rule of God. And that as we rule, that we've been given a position, that I've been given a position that the Lord says, you're a ruler. I never feel that way. But he's saying, you're a ruler. You're able to shape what is happening using the principles and the precepts of the kingdom of God to shape what's around us and to preside over what's around us. There's a lot of conviction that I'm feeling. And as we close, I think that this is a timely word for us and I hope that my ramblings don't distract and I hope this is able to land that the first purpose we have is to partner with God, but I believe that this is a special time to hear this in light of what is going on in our world. You know, up until... uh, March, there was a lot of conversations about things that are happening with the environment. And then we move into the questions and the crisis of a worldwide pandemic. And then we move to a greater awareness of injustice and racial inequality. And so in this time, and then we move into a place of we have economic crisis and unemployment. And I don't mean to say this as bad news, but it's the situations that we're in. And there are many different sides on this. And there are many different vantage points. But one of the things that I believe that if we will go back to this section for such a time as this, and that we look and we say 
that we have been God-breathed, that we have been blessed by God, and that He is calling us to partner. Wherever you fall in party lines or whatever you fall in perspective, I believe that we can unify if we will say this, I want to partner with God to be fruitful and multiply, fill, subdue, and rule over this creation for His glory and the good of others. And so what I'm saying is in this, will you begin to ask the Lord and say, Lord, not just with all areas of my life, but how am I to partner with you in the situations and the circumstances that are going on? And how can I bring about your good? And how can I be one who is fruitful, multiplies, fills, subdues, and rules for your glory and the good of others. I want to pray for us. I want to pray, and uh, if you just take a posture of prayer, I want to ask the Lord to move this past just a talk but that He will move us to action. Holy Spirit, I invite you. Even as we are recording right now, I pray that this just permeates past this room into the places where people are watching. And Lord, I pray that in this moment, each person will know that they bear the image of God. And Lord, I pray that each person will receive your blessing, that you bestow favor upon them. And now, Lord, for all of us, I pray that we will respond to your extended partnership and we will say, yes, we will walk in your ways, Lord. Lord, we will do the things that you are calling us to do that this mitzvah, this command will be a bond between us. And as we are obedient to your will, it brings us in communion with you. And that is powerful. And that is creative. And so I bless you, my friends, in the name of Jesus. As you partner with God, may you be fruitful and multiply. May you fill this earth with the image of God. May you subdue it in such a way that you harness and unleash the raw potential of creation. And may you rule over it in such a way that it is in the character and the nature and the way that God rules over us. May these things be. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Go in peace.